1: I'm Sam Shansky, and right now I'm here with Chuck Mead today to talk a little bit about his new record, which is coming out in June. Is that right?
2: That's right. Are you excited? finally will come out in June. Yes, I'm really excited. Tell me about it. Well, usually I'm known for uh, playing pretty much kind of pure honky-tonk, yeah. but I got a rock and roll soul, and uh, my band BR549 back right. in the 90s was, was kind of like that, so... Uh, But this time, instead of recording the record in Nashville, I came here to Memphis and recorded it at the Phillips Recording Service, the studio that Sam built in 1962. Uh, And I recorded it with Matt Rossbang over there. And uh, it's just a little bit more rock and roll than what I usually do.
1: How was it working with Matt?
2: Oh, it was fantastic. It couldn't have been better. I love that guy to death. Yeah. He's done a lot. I mean, not in a, not in a, like a. Sexual way yeah, but I'm mean, well actually kind of in a sexual way a little bit. Yeah, a
1: little yeah. bit. Well, that's all right, though I mean yeah, he doesn't mind No, Well, uh, you know tell me more about the record is it is it have a uh, you know cool collaborations on it or
2: well uh, You know there's quite a few of them. I, I wrote myself, but then quite a few I did write co-write yeah. with um, there's one song on there called uh Daddy worked the pole so mama wouldn't have to and I wrote that with a friend of mine named Otis Gibbs, oh, cool. who's a great songwriter uh, in Nashville. I've heard a great of Otis. Friend. He does yeah. some
1: cool songs. Uh, I know he has one about Sputnik Monroe, the, yes, the wrestler. Yes,
2: absolutely. One of his finest compositions. Indeed.
3: Listen to me, people, let me speak to your soul. There's more to Memphis than rock and roll. And there's more to history than what we've been told. This is the story of Sputnik Monroe. But Nick Monroe was a barrel-chested man. He was a brawler and a grappler with an iron chin. And he stooped to chicanery if it would help him win. And he's the last guy you want to offend.
2: And uh, I wrote a couple with uh, my buddy John Tiven, who is a—he uh, he came from New York originally. He's in Nashville now, uh, and he was all tied in with like you know Iggy Pop and. Cool. You know, the Dead Boys and all those guys. Yeah, back back in those days. And uh, we wrote a song a number of years ago called uh, She Got the Ring and I Got the Finger. That was on my first (laughs) solo record. So we've been writing a bunch of songs since then. And I wrote a couple of songs with my buddy Alan Murphy, better known as Ricky Dean Sinatra, uh, from back home in Kansas. He was a long time ago. BR was famous for a song called Me and Opie Down by the Duck Pond. It was a story about, you know opie doing illicit things <laughs> it was it was kind of a lower broadway hit oh my and uh anyway he he and i and another goofball wrote that song and but murph and i've continued writing songs over the years and there's a couple on this record so it's kind of spread around a little bit my buddy uh paul seabar from up there in uh milwaukee we wrote a couple of songs on it so it's kind of well-rounded yeah yeah what is it
1: about sam phillips recording that drew you in
2: well, it's the spirit, and you want to tap into a spirit like Sam Phillips, and yeah. that is just oozing with it over there if you let it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because when you're playing music, you're kind of dealing with ghosts anyway, and when you're writing songs, you know, everything that happens in your head you're kind of haunted by, even if it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And And so I like tapping into that kind of a feeling, and being there with Matt, who understands that, too, and Jerry Phillips was there during the session, and he kind of helped that along. Jerry's a man. Yeah, he really is. I love that guy. And, and so it was a real gift to be able to do something like that. And I've worked in a lot of uh, classic studios, like RCA Studio B and uh, the Quonset Hut there mm-hmm. in Nashville, and they all have their really good vibes if you just let it. But Sam represents complete and utter freedom and uh i know there's a whole thing about between memphis and nashville you know memphis you know thinks nashville has a stick up its ass and <laughs> nashville thinks memphis are a bunch of amateurs and, and and it's it's not true but it's true in a good way right and so what i'm trying to do is little hands across the state you know uh because we're all in the same boat we're all wanting to do something good and creative and uh that little three-hour stretch in between Memphis and Nashville, I wanted to fill it
1: in with love. Yeah. You seem to draw from a lot of different areas. I mean, even back to, like, the Bakersfield sound and everything, and that kind of rivalry was similar to Memphis and Nashville in its own It it really was.
2: It really was because, well, when rock and roll came in, country music kind of took a hit Mm -hmm. because, you know, what had been being called, you know, country bop or, uh, you know, hillbilly boogie – all of a sudden became a little bit more wild mm-hmm. and a little bit more R&B and rock and roll. And so Nashville really didn't know what to do. And that's when the the really slick Nashville sound came in, helped along by Chet Atkins and people like that to, to kind of make country music grow up a little bit. But then Bakersfield came in in the late 50s and early 60s and they added that rock and roll back to it, but still in a real honky tonk way. And you know, there's good things about all of it and you know buck owens i'm I'm a big fan of buck owens and definitely he took our band br549 under his wing a little bit and we played out at his place a bunch yes he was really very generous and hung out with us and very supportive always played our records on his radio stations and you know so so i'm glad to hear you say that that comes through because that buck owens is huge for me merle haggard and Wynn stewart and all those guys
1: what are some of your favorite buck owens songs
2: well, maybe two or three. You, you got some time. I do. <laughs> um, uh, above and beyond the call of love, okay. uh, close up the honky tonks, which was written by another Bakersfield artist, uh, Red Simpson, who was another big Bakersfield honky tonk guy. He had a lot of trucking songs. Hello, I'm a truck. What other Buck Owens songs? Well, there's tons of them. I don't see you. That's one of my favorites. It's a little more obscure. It was, on a, it was an album cut, but his albums were all great. Buck Owens, there was no filler on any of those, especially the early ones.
1: Very tight. Yeah,
2: it's all good. My heart skips a
1: beat. I I can go on. We were talking recently about the Mow Your Grass song and the the fuzz going on there. The
2: psychedelic era of Buck Owens. Yeah. Yeah, Late 60s. You had to keep up with the Joneses, man. Yeah. He had to keep fresh. He knew what he was doing.
3: Who's gonna drive?
2: Yeah, Buck Owens had the best rock and roll band in country music.
1: Well, I'm glad you are aware of all that. You seem to be aware of quite a bit. You're like a lifetime of of knowledge with all this stuff, right? I mean, well, I'm into it. You've man. lived this thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm into it. It's it's you know, I I don't want to be like I know everything because I don't. Uh, I know a lot of people that know a whole lot more than me. They can name you who played on what records, and I can do that to a certain extent. Yeah. But you know, when you're in this kind of business, I think you have to be an amateur historian because it's so, you know, country music is so etched yeah. in tradition and keeping the form, but making it new and making it your own is, it, it's different from rock and roll because rock and roll is, in, it's supposed to be new and not derivative, but country music, you you have to be derivative because that's the form. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I do. You
1: seem comfortable walking that line between tradition and, and bucking the norm a little bit.
2: Well, yeah. that I'm the redheaded stepchild of country music.
1: <laughs> so tell me something that people might know about Kansas.
2: Well, Kansas, a lot of strange things happen out there on the prairie. Right. You, it, it gets weird out there because there's nothing. You think about it, that was the launching spot, really, For all the trails that went out west, the Santa Fe Trail, the Oregon Trail, it all left out of Kansas City. When that was in Missouri, a place called Westport. But you had to go right through where I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas, which was a hotbed of uh, political unrest because it was all settled by abolitionists from Mm -hmm. Massachusetts. When Kansas was going to come in, either a free state or a slave state, they wanted it to be a free state. And, of course, we're a free state. Yeah. Uh, as it ended up, but a lot of bloody things happened there, including John Brown massacring a whole bunch of pro slavery people uh, to prove a point. And then my hometown of Lawrence, Kansas, was burnt down to the ground twice once before the actual Civil War started and once in 1863. And some of the people in Quantrill's raiders were like Frank James and Cole Younger and Jim Younger. You know, Jesse was too young to go on that raid. And then, of course, they continued raiding Yankee banks to their own profit later (laughs) using the stars and bars as an excuse. And then, you know, there's a lot of psychedelic drugs where I came from. Uh So, you know, you talk to cows, (laughs) get in there. All right. (laughs) And there was also the, this really terrible murder that happened in a place called Holcomb, Kansas in 1959. And uh, this family was murdered, Uh, wife and husband and two kids, teenage kids. And uh, no one could figure out why these people would be killed. And it didn't make any sense. They didn't have any enemies. And it turned out that it was some guy had worked out there, was in prison with another guy, and said that he had a big safe full of money out there. And, of course, he was a farmer. <laughs> so yeah, it was all, that. like, in the land and in the bank. Yeah. So he and this other guy, who was his other cellmate, came out and killed these people and they ended up with like 35 bucks and a transistor radio. And it, it, it was such a disturbing story that it brought a lot of national attention and Truman Capote came out and researched it and wrote a book called In Cold Blood. Oh, wow. And that's what that was about. And they ended up making a movie about it. And I wrote a song about it that's on one of my records. In fact, I wrote a whole bunch of songs about Kansas. It's called "Free State Serenade," was my previous record before this one coming out, and it was all just weird stories about my own personal Kansas and historical Kansas.
1: I'm gonna have to check
2: that out. Well, you should. I will. I have a copy right here. <laughs> well, all the this, Nashville handshake.
1: All this uh, information is is not lost. I mean, people come to you for your mind right i mean asking you for no, help one they thinks. mostly want my body yeah matt ross spang we know where you're at i know there. i'm telling you man he just can't keep his hands off of me he's a busy guy but he finds time for oh it. yeah I, there's always time for that <laughs> yeah. well uh yeah but i mean you've worked on a lot of projects in television and, and theater uh tell me about yeah. that
2: yeah uh, a few years back uh after br549 kind of went up in smoke uh-huh. um I got this random call from a music historian named Colin Escott. And Colin Escott has written all these liner notes for like Bear Family reissues of old blues and rockabilly and country. And he's written quite a few books. One was the definitive Hank Williams book. And uh, he wrote a book about the history of Sun Records. And one of the sections in it was about the Million Dollar Quartet, Mm -hmm. the one and only time that Elvis and Carl Perkins and Jerry Lee Lewis and Johnny Cash were, at the old memphis recording service together and uh somebody thought it would be a good stage musical so he called me up and said have you ever thought about working in the musical theater and i said no and he, and he told me what it was about and i'm like well i could do that mm-hmm. and so i kind of stumbled into this gig being the music director and supervisor for a broadway show <laughs> we were on broadway for a couple of years and we were in chicago for eight and a half years we were on the west end in london for a year and Played in Las Vegas for five years and four years on a national tour. Wow. Yeah, it, it, it was kind of the gift that kept on giving. Yeah. And you really found out how many talented people there are really in America. You know, America's got talent. But because in our play, you know, in, in a usual musical, there's like 20 or 30 people. Mm-hmm. We have eight people. Oh, wow. And everybody on stage is playing and singing, except for the Sam Phillips and the woman that Elvis brought to the session in true life uh-huh. there's, there's she's a character and the rest is just the four guys in a rhythm section and we make all that noise live on stage and there's not many musicals that can say that well there's not any so like the Jerry Lee Lewis guy has to act and play and sing like Jerry Lee Lewis and the Carl Perkins guy has to, you know they have to do the same thing they have to they really hit on it without doing an imitation because it's not about a legends presentation. So, that, you know, been really lucky, and I kind of parlayed that into the TV version, which was uh, called Sun Records. I ended up doing all the music for that and staying here in Memphis for four months plus, living here and getting to know a lot of musicians in town that I still keep in touch with. And uh, it was just great to know the musical community here in Memphis to spend some time here. Although, you know, working on a TV show is a full-time job. It, yeah. I wasn't used to that. I'm not used to working. I'm used to playing.
1: Yeah. How many shows do you think you actually did
2: uh
1: on Broadway? On Broadway? I mean, I mean, of the production.
2: Oh, I don't know. I I've lost track yeah. of how many like of all the productions or just on Broadway.
1: <laughs> well, I guess on all of them. I mean Well, and hundreds. there's
2: hundreds, thousands. I mean, I I I wasn't in it. I was just the guy I yeah, was the, hill, the- hill, hillbilly maestro is what I was. <laughs> yeah. And I, over, you know, make sure that they were playing the right licks right. and doing relatively the same thing every time because in a stage show you have to hit the light right, you have to say the same thing every night, and most of them you have to play and sing exactly the same every night. And in our show you have to do a certain amount of that, but in order not to suck the rock and roll out of it, like when a guy takes a solo – it could be anything as long as it's in the vernacular.
1: There's still spontaneity in yeah. the preparedness and everything.
2: Exactly. You have to you have to simulate spontaneous
1: happenings. But hard but to actually
2: do. it does happen. It, because I'll go and see him play, you know, and to take notes to make sure no one's getting wonky, you know, the harmonies are right and everything. And I'll hear somebody do something and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And then we'll put them in another production. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh Because it's like that. It's all like a little work in progress. It makes it more alive.
1: It's a lot of stuff going on there.
2: There is a lot of stuff going on, but plate spinning beats ditch digging every day.
1: Yeah. You're having fun. I am. I like that. Gainfully unemployed. (laughs) Another place that you were, seems like uh, over 100 times I heard, the Opry.
2: Yeah, I've played the Opry like uh, 138 times or so over the years, including BR. And they always make me feel really welcome out there. And uh, I love all those people. And it's the Grand Ole Opry. I mean, that's pretty much the apex of country music for me. Yeah. You know? being able to be welcomed by all those people out there and and they can count on me to go out and not screw it
1: up although i have but don't tell them i'm not telling anybody okay just all the people watching but that's all right are people watching this
2: i thought we were just talking
1: we are we are we are okay okay so so what's next for you
2: What's next? Well, we have this record coming out yeah, totally in right. June, and I'm pretty much focused on that. But I got a couple other projects, and you know, another musical, and I'm always working on writing and stuff like that. Try to keep busy. Mm-hmm. Try to keep from watching Bonanza in the afternoon. Bonanza. Although I like Bonanza. What channel is that on now? Me TV. Yeah, I could I could get sucked into that all day long. It's westerns.
1: Yeah, uh, I've watched it. It's been a while. I don't even know if I would be able to find it on television anymore. Oh, you could. I'll I'll go search for it. I'll tell
2: you the channel. It's right here in town. Don't worry. Okay, thank you. Well,
1: Chuck, thank you so much for being here today.
2: Sam, it was great talking to you. Thanks, man. I appreciate it.
0: 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess. For elite athletes only